is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I am Pete. And we are coming to you live from a couple of places in the internet. We're coming to you live from Crowdcast. We're coming to you live from YouTube, a.k.a. The Tube. And uh, maybe you're listening to this later on the audio podcast. If so, we appreciate you all as well. Thank you so much for listening or tuning in. However you are. In a little bit, we're going to bring in our guest for the show, Scott Snyder. But first, Woo-hoo! we should mention Justin is off. He's hanging out with uh, some Vax friends. Yeah, he's, uh, he's. I think he's vacationing in the island somewhere. I don't know. That guy is uh, living the life, man. Yeah, well, here's the thing. The things, uh, as people get that vaccine, they're going to start hanging out again and having social yeah. lives and not having time for our comic book show, which is Whew, It's heartbreaking. Pete, uh, I wanted to talk to you about something real quick before sure. we start the show officially. This has nothing to do with comic books, but oh, anybody who's listened to our American Gods podcast knows about this. Uh, we talked a lot about Danny Trejo's guest appearance on the show. Oh, and yeah. Every time Danny Trejo showed up on American Gods, we talked about, and this is true, he has a taco uh, restaurant. Is it just a truck or is it a re- whole restaurant? I, uh... I think it, it was a restaurant and then COVID became a truck. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's going to go back to being a restaurant. But right. I think then it'll it's like, turn into a robot and then it'll fight. Then take over the world. I think And so. shoot tacos into your mouth, which is yeah. what you want. Oh, our resident chef, Stray Bullet, says restaurant and truck. There you go. Okay. Uh, so we talked about it uh, as part of this virtual premiere event thing that I got invited to tonight. So I'll probably have to cut out of the show earlier or something like that. Uh, they said, hey, we're going to send you some stuff for Taco Tuesday to celebrate the virtual premiere. No. Yeah, and they no. said they said Trejo's tacos. Oh my god. This opening bit brought to you by a Zelbin Flex. What's <laughs> up? Oh man. Oh, you know what's great about being your friend on Twitter is I what's get that? to see all the amazing free shit that you get to just get. Do you just like Scrooge McDuck's swim around in all your free shit that you get? Like your Voltron action figures and like your tea company shit, like I cookies, sandwiches, <laughs> fucking tacos. You fuck, man. Oh, thanks, Pete. It's really nice being your friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dude. great tacos. They were so good. Of course so they if, were. Yeah. If you're ever in LA or get invited to a virtual premiere, <laughs> definitely Trejo's Tacos. Highly oh, recommended. Yeah. There I can't go. wait to try them one day. <laughs> one day we'll go to LA again once we're with our Vax friends like Justin. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, uh, we are going to bring it. Stop talking about tacos instead. Oh, about it's going to be tough. Wants to talk about. Uh, we're going to bring in our guest here, Scott Snyder. He's one of our favorite people to talk to. One of our favorite writers here on the show. We're going to be talking about his new book, Not Terra. The second issue is out tomorrow from Image Comics. He, as always, has a ton of other things going on. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Snyder. I'm like, I straight in from taking the baby to the playground for the first time in forever. He had a complete meltdown. So it was very, it was very entertaining. He like does not recognize other children, other kind, other, uh, like uh, other specimens of his species. He's like. What is that? Yeah, what is happening? Life in the pandemic. So it's like, wow, crazy town, right? He's only yeah, he's th- it must be something with kids today. My uh, my son was the same thing. He was just like lying down on the floor and doing the what is the Larry Bowen curly thing, going around in the circle all day. So there's something in the air with the kids. So yes, he was, uh, it was very funny. He was just like he was like no dat, no dat when he looks at <laughs> another kid. 
You know? Oh wow! Ooh, that's that's another another you another because he goes nada nada and and he was like no that nada no that. I was like all right. Wow. He's antisocial. Here we go. The guy is like finally finally he's ready for comic books. I was about to say I was like ready to partner up. Uh, so Scott, excited to have you on Excited to talk about Noctera As we mentioned, the second issue is out tomorrow When last we had you on the show I think the first issue Was not even out yet So you set up the premise very nicely But just in case people haven't picked it up uh, Would you mind once again Doing kind of the rough pitch for the book Sure, yes uh, And by, it's just good to talk to you guys again man. Oh, man it's great to see you we go all the way back. We've done so many like events. We've been on a weird boat together. <laughs> I was just about to say that. You remember that thing where like that terrible ice sculpture was like melting every day, worse and worse. You go to the buffet and you could just tell the whole thing was failing because it was like this like this you know what I mean? And like and we have that we should talk about that if we didn't talk about that last time that cruise was insane man i love that cruise that cruise was like to me it was like one of the best cons ever because it was so bad like in the you know it, where it was like it was a you know a, a con where essentially uh there was no infrastructure except like the talent and then the passengers and you were all stuck together for like seven days and there was like no renaissance booths or shops or anything it was just that and uh yeah. so it was like a, it was like a total like a horrible kind of petri dish experiment and um the funniest part was do you remember that like on this cruise they didn't have enough tickets sold so they invited their like normal cruisers the regulars yeah the regulars from tampa that like and i learned all about this culture because it was amazing because we like went out um my wife and i got like one night where we were like we're going to do the chef's table thing and it was with all these like diamond level cruiser people and it was awesome they were like they live in these like shitty apartments in Tampa where they're like, oh, I live in a shitty apartment, but my real life is on a cruise ship because they've earned enough points that they just go there for two days to their like little rental. And then they, they get calls from the cruise companies that are like, Hey, we need to fill a thing going to, uh, going to Cancun. Hey, we need to fill a thing going to the Mediterranean. Hey, and they just do it and they just go and they live on cruise ships and they know everything about the cruise ships from like, which boats have the best bathrooms to whatever. And it was amazing. And the funniest part was that they were like, Oh yeah, it was this like old this old couple, and they were like, "This one is the comic one, right?" They were like, "The one before was the heavy metal and the heavy, heavy metal, country, the country music one." And I have my cosplay, and she it was like she had like a sheet to be like a ghost, you know what I mean? That was like <laughs> cosplay was like, and he was like, "I'm a cat," you know that. It was like, yes, that's and serious. that's and that's when metal came into your head, and you were like, "That's the next book I'm going to be working." It was. On. <laughs> it was very. It, was, it might as well have been born on that cruise. That cruise oh, was my. like a death metal kind of like a it was kind of there was but we yes Noctera I forgot yes so okay. my elevator pitch <laughs> uh, it is um, it is about a darkness that envelops the earth and changes every living creature that stays in it too long unlit into a monster called the shade so everything from uh, birds fish mammals even plants mutate so it's a really fun book. It's big, high-octane horror. Uh, it's like truckers versus monsters versus serial killers. And it's kind of like all the bombast of the stuff that I did at DC with metal and death metal and, you know, that mixed with a lot of the darker, kind of more intimate stuff that I did uh, in my creator own work, like witches and American vampire and that stuff. So it, it kind of brings all my stuff together in one place. Everything that I think people come to expect from me and Tony Daniel as a team uh but um it's my year away from dc you know I, I still talk to them often and i'm going back to do some stuff 
at the end of the year that we've been planning uh, a long time. So uh, I have like one year to myself where I'm like, I'm just going to make my own stuff with Best Jacket. And so this book is kind of meant to, and so a lot of the books like subvert expectations. I, I might've said this to you last time, but like some of them, you know, try new things, different creators. They're not what you expect from me. Histor- there's like one that's historical fiction, like no monsters, no, no gore. Another one is uh, part prose. Another one is uh, uh, science fiction, like real, real hardcore sci-fi. So things you, you might not have seen. Um, but this one, as the first one, I wanted to be like, this is kind of what you expect. And then some, like, mm-hmm. instead of undercutting uh, or subverting or, you know, dodging expectations, uh, leaning into them and just trying to surpass them with sincerity and, and a kind of love of, of the genre and the, and the material. So it's a lot of fun. It's about a woman named Val Sundog Rig. She's a trucker in this world and uh, she carries people from outpost to outpost. There are all these like little uh, kind of communities left that are lit by different things. And everybody wears whatever they can to stay lit, whether it's like light bulbs or, you know, torches or really high tech LED suits. So it's, it's pretty fun to, to see Tony's amazing designs and Tomeo's colors. And it's got a big mythos. That's the other thing. Like I, I sent image of the pitch for the 25 issue, which is the shortest possible kind of, um, uh, uh, structure for it. So it's got three really big arcs with Tony and then interstitial arcs. And uh, I want to keep going really big, like Undiscovered Country. If it continues to do as well as it is, then hopefully we'll be able to do like 50 issues, 60 issues. But at the very wow. least, for quite a, for, for at least a, a couple of years, few years of good story. And uh, it gets bigger and bigger, like the mystery about the darkness. We have this villain called Blacktop Bill, who's like, fused with this nano car, uh, carbon stuff that makes him like completely silhouetted and and uh he's got a really fun history uh dark history and uh yeah it's just it's a lot of stories so i'm just hoping people get behind it uh and they ha- i mean they've been over we've been you know really overwhelmed with the support but if you guys continue to buy it um we have a lot of story for this one and you know i promise like I want it to kind of be the beachhead upon which a lot of stuff that I'm doing at Best Jacket is is kind of fans out from in different ways. Now, as you mentioned, the first issue was a big success right out of the gate. Obviously, you have a couple in the can already, so this doesn't quite affect that. But when you have the first issue come out like that, and that is huge, does that put more of the pressure on for you with the second issue, or does it relieve that pressure? Uh, both. I mean, in the way that I'm, I'm always, you know, I was just talking to Tynan like this morning, James Tynan and, uh, whose success I am so excited about, by the way, with between Batman and, um, you know, the sales on that are insane. DC doesn't publish sales anymore because of the whole kind of non diamond stuff, but you know, he's selling like 200,000 copies, this and that. And then he's got this amazing, amazing indie series, creator owned series, department of truth and something. Yeah. It's right, been really great. Yeah, it's been he's, really amazing. He's, he's like my I, when your student becomes like the teacher for you, it's the best feeling in the world. But I was talking to him, and I'm like, you know, I'm like issue one did really well. Like, oh my god, will you read issue two? He's like, I've read it three times. Just it's good. Just read it alone, you know, it's like you've written a thousand comics. Just fucking drop it. You know, and I'm like, I, I still sweat it. I swear, I sweat every. I sweat it when I'm doing a new series for a long time until wow. I realize. It takes me a few arcs to feel like non-imposter syndrome on stuff, even when wow. I made it up myself. So, yeah, I still, I yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just 
I'm just anxiety built. You know, I run out of anxiety. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, hopefully what makes people good writers in a certain way. You know, that's the negative part, obviously, is the anxiety. But the positive part is it drives you to work really hard and uh, challenge yourself as much as you possibly can. I, I, I like I'm, to think that. My son, who's nine, is kind of dealing with it right now, where I see it in him, I'm like, oh, God, you got that for me? <laughs> like that. And he's like, I see him doing it where he's like, are you sure it's not assembly dress today? <laughs> yes, it is not assembly dress today. A Monday, assembly is on Friday. Can we double check? And I'm like, it is a Monday. And then I'm like, how can we channel this? And um, oh my God, I wish I had it with me. He just started getting into art and uh, he's so good because he's so crazy focused on like, wow. you know, the detail. And it, that, it's just like you said, Alex, where I'm like, I like to believe because, you know, anxiety, depression, it sucks. You know, I mean, no, no making light of it. Like I've been through it, you know, in a bad way many times. But you do hope that the flip side gives you some kind of both empathy and, and humility, I think, around around other people's uh, challenges. But on top of that, artistically or creatively, I feel like it does create like a hyper focus sometimes. And for me, at least that's I can channel my worries into ridiculous panels of carnage and be like, huh. And then, you know, working on creating a Capullo or whatever. Does it, does this, does the, does the hatchet need to be bigger? Is it seven, <laughs> you know, like demon's jaw? Or like, oh you know, I sweat it. so yeah, I do. I sweat it. I sweat issues a lot. I sweat issue three. I just handed in the lettering for issue three. And I'm like, is that line bad? I am so sorry that it is uh, painful for you, but man, do I enjoy it. It really is unbelievable. I'm not going to spoil issue two, but we got to read it and holy shit, it is fantastic. And it's very, I love how intense this series is. And like, you also got to get kind of the reveal of what's going on a little bit more in the second issue. And when you get like new villains and stuff, sometimes it's like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that or oh, that's really crazy. But like as soon as I saw Blacktop Bill, I was like, yes, this is now my dude. Blacktop this Bill is- to me is right. It's like all my favorite 90s tropes, but like <laughs> something fun. Like I, I, that's what I mean. Like I was watching, I haven't watched Don't, I haven't seen Godzilla Kong yet because, oh. my, because my son, who's four, my older son, who's 14. Next weekend, we rented for his birthday. He wanted to rent a theater here. It's only a hundred bucks. Oh, wow. It's a hundred bucks to rent a local movie theater nice. and, and, uh, and and invite a few friends. So we're doing that to see King Godzilla King Kong together. I'm oh, a lifelong wow. Godzilla fan from when I was growing up in New York City and WPIX Channel 11 Monster Matinee Sunday yes. <laughs> forever. Um, that and like Robin Bird is what I remember from like... Oh, wow. Were you, were you <laughs> Do you remember that? Channel J, everybody bang your box and all that shit was like Al Goldsmith and that whole Channel 35, Channel J nonsense. Oh, That's God. like some deep cut New York yeah. City. Right? That is, yeah. Yeah, it is. What was it called? Something blue or whatever. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, the the thing with this was like, uh, I want this series to be embrace all of the fun, like the Spielbergian, you know, non Saturday morning cartoon, but R rated yeah. fun, and be like, who is Blacktop Bill? Maybe he's a serial killer who's been transformed by a. But do it in a way where I'm like, if I had to take things I loved as a kid and then make them, you know, exciting and fun for me as an adult without removing the lunacy of them. How do I do that? You know, it's like, that was kind of the challenge with metal a bit when doing that stuff was like, how do I do superhero stuff 
in a way that embraces the Kirby ass crazy, but doesn't, um, doesn't sincere, does it sincerely and still has the heart and the passion about what the whole thing's about, you know, and that. So here it's that it's, it's my comfort zone. I love this stuff where it's like, how do you make a guy who's like an ex serial killer hitman bonded to nano got a really awesome thing and then make him super scary. And so he's one of my favorite creations. He's one of those things wow. where it's like, I feel like a lot of times people are like villains need to be somewhat sympathetic. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Sure, sometimes, and sometimes <laughs> do not have to be sympathetic whatsoever. Like Batman Who Laughs or him, where it's like seeing how much sociopathy is in the zeitgeist right now, and like how much, you know, how how much evil is normalized between the last, you know, however many years, and you know, of seeing how nuts the world has gotten and the country and everything. I mean, you know, it, it, there's no reason why we can't create villains that I think are just totally black at heart and just are like believe the way Luthor and Justice League up to who was kind of like trying to reason it out to a blacktop bill who doesn't care to reason it out. It's kind of like we are our our our, our final form is is predatory. Our final form is wow. what makes us what makes us divine is evil. Like yeah, you know, altruism, goodness, all that stuff is found in the in, in the in the animal kingdom in some form or other, but not evil, not cruelty, not like real out and out you know, sadism, why isn't that then our divine spark? You know, the thing that makes us bad is what makes us special. And the planet, why don't we embrace that instead of what makes us good, which is found in other animals, you know? No other animal is as evil as we are if we really lean in. So that's the idea of embracing like a Lucifer or that kind of figure. Mm-hmm. It, that's 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 Blacktop Bill. Is like, you're all just lying to yourself. I'm, I'm who you want to be. So uh, in the first issue, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but in the first issue, you set up the concept of the book. You have big explosions, big fight scenes. Um, you touch on the mythology at least a little bit, as well as introducing our heroes and our villain, Blacktop Bill. Given all that, what is involved in a second issue? What do you do when you go into that second issue? What happens there? Well, really, the thing that I, I have to remind myself with Creator Owned is that the thing that keeps people reading honestly, in my opinion, is the emotion, the characterization, the world and the world building too, like the mystery. But the mystery is like, there's almost like two, two things happening. You know, when I teach, I always talk about these different things, like the plot conflict and your emotional conflict and the emotional conflict and the characterization is what keeps people on board. You know, it's what really attaches them to the series. So that's the thing. And it, for me, it's issue two, issue three. The reason I sweat them so hard is, it's where you're, if you're selling the high concept and the character in one, in two and three, you're really selling to me, at least like the character wholly, like this is my cast. This is who you're going to spend time with. This is why they're interesting and, and kind of richly complicated, you know, and that. So for me, like two and three, it's there. I can get into like the things that we reveal with the, um, with the darkness and the mythology. And there's a lot of big reveals in two. Yeah. about what might have caused it. And then in three, it gets even crazier where you start to learn about who made Blacktop Bill the way he is, why he might be this way, what's Gus's connection to him, what this bunker they're headed to might be. There's that the shades, human shades, for some reason, the darkness almost transforms us people much more drastically than every other creature uh, or living thing it touches. So it almost seems to have a design where we become things that are much more frightening than anything else in the food chain of, of the kind of Noctera landscape. Um, so there's all this stuff like that, but at core what my issue two and three 
real mission statement is, is building the bond between, as you're showing, Val and M, really trying to show you why they represent different takes on what the world is, what it could be. And so Val is one of the most interesting characters that I've ever gotten a chance to write because, you know, I've spent so long with, with, with protagonists like Batman, Pearl from uh, American Vampire and Wonder Woman, you know, in metal, death metal and Martian Manhunter. These are characters who are like battle worn and weary, um, but still optimistic. They, they have this kind of like dented and damaged um, engine of optimism to them, but it's still there and it's what drives them. It's this like determination to see the best in people, to see that the truth of our nature is good, um, or at the very least, even if it's bad, that we are capable of overcoming that. And what makes us human is the ability to reach past who we're designed to be, to be who we, who, to, to, to try and maybe fail at who we could be. Val isn't that at all. Val is very much a character who um, is a survivalist. And I have, I've never written somebody like her. So I love writing her where she's like, she's like, yes, you know, I get it. Like, you know, this could be a mission to save the world and bring back the sun. And you know what? I don't give a fuck. None of that is real. What's real is getting from point A to point B and water and food. And that's it. And it's like, how could you not care about, I don't, I don't care about it. That's it. And that's what she's learned and her background, you know, growing up in the darkness. I I love this kind of, and, and she's a real creation of like Tony's and mine together. You know, a lot of it, it, he wanted to create a character who was both, um, he has daughters, you know, I have sons, like I have all boys. He has all girls. He wanted to make a, a character with her that would be someone his, his daughters could look up to, but learn something from in a way too. So we really tried to build her together. Um, and for me, she's someone whose arc is, is a slow build. You know, it's not like one movie and out. It's very much like by the end of arc one, she's still jaded, but there's like a glimmer of hope there. You know what I mean? And, so I love writing her. And anyway, to, to, to put a cap on this long answer to your question, <laughs> issues two and three are very much, um, you know, I'm always about like the concussive, explosive reveals about the world and the monsters. And But at heart, the real challenge is making sure that the characters are fully developed because at the end of the day, I can, you know, do as many juggling bear tricks with plot and mystery as possible, but you're not going to keep reading the book if you don't like who, who the leads yeah. are. So and the villain. So that that's really what um, two and three, the challenge of that. And by the time it hits four and five, then you click back into the mode of like, now you're at the end, you know, the, the, the back half where it's like, oh my God, are the human shades actually here? What are they? What do they look like? Oh my God, are they communicating? Is Emery already too, you know, infected that he's talking to them and, and fooling everyone? Is Blacktop Bill in on it? It's like all that like comes in and, you know, it, it kind of, you go and like, fun i can't stop writing this autopilot but the middle is really where it's like on you to make everybody fall in love with these people that have lived in your head a long time what's what's your favorite part to write is it after like four and five when you can just kind of like all right now i got an idea of what's going on i can kind of tell my story or where do you like oh this is what gets me up in the morning type of thing. oh totally yeah the beginning and the end are what get me up in the morning because okay. it's the part that i've had planned in my head for so long like when i do a story you know like um i'd show you my whiteboard but it's a book i haven't announced yet so i can't do it but it's like an arc and it's like this this part of it is all the, the first, the first third of it is all like mapped out. And the last third of it is all mapped out. And it's like a you know, 150 page story. 
And then the middle, there's some beats, but it's it's not it's not um, fully fleshed out. I just I I know I know what it's when I begin a story, I always know what it's about. Like you know, 100. I know the ending, and that barely ever changes because again, that's kind of built into what the message is of the whole thing in terms of sure. character goes through this and learns this, or it's about my fear about this for my kids or whatever it is. But the middle is where I let myself explore to be able to kind of give it like life and and let it not be so um, regimented. So they're just different pleasures. Like I, but I enjoy the beginning of the end most because it's almost like the whole thing is, is kind of dependent on those parts that I know I know, but the middle, um, they scare me the most, like two, three, like you were saying, Alex, like two, three up to four of a six issue arc. Um, But at the end, it's the most surprising. Like I get there and I'm like, wow, I didn't realize, like I'll give, I'll spoil something. Like, so, so issue three of Natera, um they're trying to get to this bunker that may or may not exist right right and for people that haven't been reading it um essentially val who's the, again like i said this trucker this ferryman in the stark world her brother is infected with um the darkness and she's mm-hmm. trying to get some way of paying for like a solar lamp or solar simulator things that are like exponentially uh more expensive than you know any normal thing in this world in the big pm as they call um the darkness to try and save him. And so she takes on these passengers that promise her this, this um, really big payday, this old man and his, his granddaughter. And so by issue three, she's realized that the old man and the granddaughter are being chased by this mercenary blacktop bill who seems to have a lot of means. And so she's starting to believe that even if it's not true that this, these guys are headed to a sanctuary as they claim they are, where there's still there's solar simulators and all kinds of things that maybe they have money, they have something that she can use. And so in three, you know, um, that's where I was like, well, what needs to happen is they need to, uh, she needs to start by this point, Val needs to start to become hopeful, but I also need to undercut that. And I was like, well, let me go back to her. And I know the beats, like she's, she's big fight with Blacktop Bill. He's chasing her through this whole neon maze, big neon sign of, uh, that she set up as a trap pops up, it's covered in nitroglycerin, he drives through it. You know what I mean? But he survives captures Gus, puts him on the hood of his thing. Who's the Oh shit. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, and Gus is like, please take me, kill me, but don't kill my daughter, my granddaughter. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like the thing I heard that I'm spoiling so much, but I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) He's like this bag is black top bill. Who's like a walking silhouette in this world. The monsters don't notice him. He's just, and there's a rumor that he used to be this guy back in the old world called black top bill who hunted and preyed upon all kinds of people like tourists and people on the, on the highways and byways Mm -hmm. in America. They called him the four corners coroner. The um, uh, it was like the, uh, what was it? I had a really good one that was like over overdrive uh, overkill. It was like, I don't know. There are all kinds of names that I enjoy making up for terribly sadistic, awful things. (laughs) But um, he's like, you know, I heard that you, Gus, as Gus is like harpooned to the top of his car, he's like, I heard that you were one of the people that voted against me getting this procedure. Oh, wow. you, don't know, you don't know why. You don't know who, how Gus has a connection to him or anything. And he's like, I heard your reasoning was that I might enjoy enjoy the job too much, which was a problem, you know? And, and he's like, Gus is like, please just don't don't kill my job. You know, I, I'll give you whatever you want. Don't kill my granddaughter. Stop following them. And, he, and, and Blacktop Bill is like, um, I'm not going to kill her and I'm not going to kill you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep you harpooned here in the darkness 
and let you change into a shade. And then I'm going to let you kill her when you change. And he's like, and then he's like, no, no. And he's like, here's to always enjoying your fucking job a little bit too much. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love this character so much. Like, oh and you have to, by the way, like that's, I wrote that. And then I have to be like, and now I'm putting the baby to bed. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought I was hoping you'd be like, and I poured myself a glass of champagne. If only, <laughs> if only, right? Yeah, no, I'm like, yeah. So it, it, I, I love the series. I love the characters. It's a blast. And it's so interesting, man. Like, not to like, I, I feel like I'm, yeah, I want to answer any questions you have or anything anyone out there wants to ask too. So I don't mean to like go down all my own rabbit holes. But one of the things that I found so fascinating this year is like, how how fast I write when I'm doing my own stuff, but how confident I am in this zone where I was always confident in DC, you know, not always, but I mean, I, I knew what I wanted to do and I was confident in, in what I believed um, I was trying to do, not that I could pull it off, but I, I had a vision in my head of like a story like metal or justice league or court of owls. And, but there's so much fucking calculus to do when you're working in superheroes between like top level calculus, which is like, how do I pitch this story and have my bosses approve it? Then down to, okay, next level calculus is what, um, what do fans think of the character and the, the company as it stands right now? How do I get this still do what I, exactly what I want to do, but how do I talk to them to get them to understand what I'm trying to do here to get them on board? Mm-hmm. Then there's the politics of, well, if any other editor is doing something that might tie in, how do I get them excited? And then there's the lowest level of just, you know, making sure that you're communicating on social media and the stuff, the stuff that is just going to get them in the door to buy it. And then how do I communicate to retailers? Why? Like all of it is just like, and I, there's no part of it that I didn't enjoy to some degree, but what you realize is like removing yourself from that system how much more energy is freed up to just be creative, you know, because if I'm doing a book myself with a friend for, for image or for, um, you know, any kind of creator on, it's just you and your, your people making it. And, and there's no math. There's no, there's no, there's no sudden, there's no context. It's not like, well, people think this about Batman right now and it's a corporate entity and blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, you're trying to make something, you're trying to make a statement about how comics should be because this, yeah, which I did with death metal and all that stuff because you're dealing with these legacy mantle characters. Now it's like, how do I just write something that my 14 year old and I could read together. And that's about a darkness that changes people that are separated from each other into unrecognizable monsters and be like, wow. boom, let's go. That's it. You know? And it's so much, it's so much faster. So it's so funny talking to you about like, and then an issue three this, And then I'm like, you know, issue seven, issue eight, I'm working on now. So I'm like, it's just different. It's a different thing than coming on and, and being um, excited about DC or Marvel stuff, you know, which, which I always am too. It's just, it's so, it's just like two completely different um, biologies. You know, you're, you're flexing totally different muscles. They're two anatomies where you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm using all these muscles today. It has nothing to do with that. You know? 
I do want to get to some questions from people who are writing in uh, both on YouTube here and Crowdcast, but just to follow up on this, do you feel like a series that is your creator own thing, but has more issues behind it, does it start to get that same gravity in a way? Obviously, it doesn't have the same corporate responsibility as, say, a Batman, but American Vampire, for example, oh, yeah. you've been writing on that for a really long time. So I, I imagine there's different expectations that going into issue three of Noctera. 1976 has been amazeballs, by the way. <laughs> Dude, it's my favorite arc we've ever done. And I, I it, it was, it's the, the bones of it are in my pitch from 2007 when I go back. So this is like what you were asking me before about like the, your favorite part. This is like the, the fun where you get to the thing you've been building towards. But um, there is, there's, there's personal gravity, Alex, like always, like, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I have, a, I have, I have moments when I can have a thin skin, but I have a pretty thick skin overall. You know, I'm not, my, my goal is never to do what fans want, but to, to convince them to come along with what I want. So I do negotiate with fans and I do talk to them and try and like, I do engage and say, I get what you're, I, I see what you think. I, I see you think that, you know, Commissioner Gordon is Batman. It's the dumbest idea in the history of Gotham. <laughs> so I'm going to put that in a comic and have Commissioner Gordon say, this is the dumbest idea in the history. You know, and then I'm going to go and say, I saw you, I hear you, let's try it. So um, I really do, you know, try and listen and, and I, I, you know, be aware of that stuff, but it's never to compromise what I want to do. It's always to, to pivot, to try and get you on board with what I'm doing. But with American Vampire and, and Creator Own, it's so personal. Like the only pressure I feel on that book is like to do justice by those characters and to end it the right way. And yeah. I know it's the right ending, but I sweat it. Like for, to give an example, it's almost like every other series, you know, I only need a couple of days to write a script, but I give each one about a week to really look it over. American Vampire, these last issues, I'm giving like two weeks, like really, and they're, they've been outlined forever. So it's not even a matter of like needing to figure anything out. It's just really sweating the lines, really sweating every scene. So I don't, I mean, the, the other thing with that series in particular is that, you know, I don't, I don't want it to end. I want to do it till I'm an old man. And so does Raphael. But we just we need to put a cap on this part of it to be able to, you know, recreate it in a new way down the line. Mm -hmm. you know, this is what we're going towards. So uh, let's go to some of these questions. This is Stanley on YouTube. Tony Daniel is my favorite artist. How is it working with Tony? It's awful. He's a total diva. He's, <laughs> yeah. No, I was just texting Tony. It's so funny because, um, you know, Tony was one of the first people that was so welcoming to me in, uh, uh, at DC when I got there, I was, I, they put me on detective before I was, was prepared at all. You know, I was like complete, I, I think I said this to you last time, but I was like, you know, brand new. I thought in, you know, five years, maybe I'd be ready for a backup on Batman uh, on detective or, you know, detective sister, whatever it is. And they put me on detective when I had two issues of American vampire under my belt, um, which was amazing. And I was like, I can't turn it down because I'll never get a chance again. But I also I'm going to take it and I'm going to fall on my face. And Tony was one of the people that really um, was very kind to me and was like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. This is how you deal with it. Put on your blinder, your horse blinders. Think oh, about wow. what you're telling. Like, so we've been friends a really long time. And um, 
you know, we made up all this stuff about the Joker cutting off his face and they wanted us to lobotomize him or kill him. And we made this instead. So there was a lot of, there were early war stories together. And then we, we always stayed um, friendly. And over the years, we kept talking about doing something creator own together. And as we became closer in the last few years, because we have kids relatively the same age and we did Batman and Robin Eternal and, my wife, um, my wife, her sister lives outside Chicago. So Tony lives in Chicago. So when I'd go to Chicago, I'd get in the ring. We, we just were like, we got to do something together. We got to do something together. And so the thing I love about this team, and it's the same thing as like working with Greg and, you know, John and FCO. It's the same thing as working with Francis or a lot of the people I have lined up for uh, Best Jacket Books in 2021 into 2022. They're friends, you know, and some people are brand new that I, I, I have not worked with at all, but they're all people I trust to, to push me as a writer and um, to uh, allow, you know, me to, to take some risks and, and to push them back, all that kind of stuff where we have a good, a good back and forth. But with Tony, it's uh, this book in particular is like Tony and I were very close. We joke all the time. We talk about our kids. You know, he knows very, you know, he knows things like when, when, when I'm having trouble in life, when my kids are, when mm. his kids, like we really talk. And, you know, um, Tomeo is his friend of 10 years. That's why we got to steal him a little bit from Batman. I, I called Tyner and I'm like, guess who we got for our thing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna make him. But Tyner was really funny. He's like, your whole book is just black. It's just darkness. So it's like <laughs> back to Batman. And I'm like, Gotham's always dark, man. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, like, it's exactly. the same thing. So he's like, I'm going to make the next dark Technicolor disco, whatever. I'm like, fine. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we want flashbacks in mind to like flashbacks before the darkness to like gorgeous, you know, prisms of whatever. But then um, uh, Tomeo is really good friends with um, Tony and Darren, who letters the book even, was uh, I became uh, friends with back on Batman. He did some issues like Batman 44, a couple ones that really needed a lot of acrobatic lettering where the lettering was a big part of the story the type and the text and the articles and the background and the, the way it was laid on the page. And so we all really like each other and get along. And the editor, Will Dennis is the guy who basically greenlit American vampire under Karen um, and over Mark Doyle um, at Vertigo. So he's editing all my best jacket books. Like I hired him, you know, for all the whole line. Oh, he's wow. like, so it feels great. It's like real working with Tony is awesome because We've wanted to do something together. We have no egos when it comes to working together. There's plenty of stuff. If you bought the Kickstarter, you can see like there are things he came up with visually that then I was like, that's a way better idea than mine. I'm adapting to it, change my stuff. Sometimes I'll come back at him and be like, I love that page, but I have one idea. He'll change it in a second. We're, we're very simpatico that way. That's the way like Greg and I work or Francis or Jock, like, you know, we're very much like, no egos, what just makes the best page, what makes the best story. So I, I can't say enough good things about him. And I, I promise too, like he will tell you himself, this isn't like me blowing smoke or trying to sell the book. Um, it is, I, it is genuinely like his best work. And he, both of us are learning on the book, which is so fun, you know, where you can watch, if you read Batman number one, and then you read Batman 50, whatever it was, 51 or 52, Greg's, Art is still recognizable as Greg, but like that Bruce Wayne on Batman number one is not the Bruce Wayne of mm-hmm. Batman 51. Like he just changed and grew and, and what we're doing now together, you'll see it's like just, he just not because of me, but he just developed, you know, I love artists that push themselves and evolve and grow and change. And that's what I'm trying to do. 
And Tony is that way too, where he learned new techniques. He's doing digital inking, trying new stuff. And I think you'll see his art, like he's reinventing himself on the book, which is exciting, you know? So for both of us, all of us, you know, it's really, it's a blast. I love, I love this team. I really do. Like there's just, it's as smooth, as smooth sailing as possible. We got one here on Crowdcast from Failed Superheroes Club. Will we see more witches maybe crowdfunded? No, no, we don't need to crowdfund it. It's, a, it's an image. Like, I, I love doing the Kickstarter. It was fun, but I need a, like a real breather. Because there was, I mean, a lot of it was doing it in COVID where some things are still, you know, still delayed. Like the UK shipments are delayed. It's just this big backup at the port. Wow. Like, you know, we call, we deal with that still every couple of days, checking in on it, all that stuff. So crowdfunding was great. Um, and what it did was it gave us the security to make the book, uh, even if um, there was another wave of the pandemic and there weren't vaccines right now, uh, or if diamonds collapsed or any of that kind of stuff that we were worried about a year ago. Um, so we have the money to, to do at least the arc plus of the book and, and have it no matter what. Um, but witches um, is committed to image. Jock and I, the, the, I'll tell you the truth. I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but um, <laughs> witches, uh, the thing with witches was we were going to, we were working on the second arc and then the people that had the rights to it, plan B new Regency for film were like, Oh, you know, we saw the material for that you have that you're building towards for your next arc with Sebastian, who was in this, if anyone is a deep a witches fan, we did a, a one shot called the bad egg, which was a big issue. It was like a good 50, 60 page issue. So it was, you know, equivalent of like, you know, three, four issues. Um, but uh, uh, about this character, Sebastian and, and his, he was a son of somebody who hunts witches, Clara, who was in our first arc, all that stuff comes together in our third arc where Sebastian and sailor from our first arc are partners in the irons. And it's a lot of fun. Um, when we were working on that and they came and they were like, well, what if we, re-upped our option and did it for television instead and oh. and so um the, you know we we went through this whole process with them and and all this stuff and they wound up getting it again uh in partnership with amazon to be able to do for tv and they hired me to write it and jock to do the um the oh, wow. dart and the storyboarding stuff so um we've been really neck deep in that in fact like tomorrow is is our big call about um arc one and the, the whole outline for it the whole season one um, so uh, who knows if it'll ever be seen on TV? I don't know. I, I never put any stock on it until yeah. you know it, it's actually there. Um, but it's a lot of fun, and it's almost like the shame. On the one hand, is that we're working on it so hard in another medium that we haven't had time to work on it in comics. But the positive is that it's so there already. Like all Jock has to do, if he draws it, like all of it is written. Like it's it's totally exists in another format. So we need to get back and do it in comics and. I, I want to, what I want to do is in the next month, um, really hammer out a schedule and be able to make an announcement about which is coming back in a strong way in early 2022, uh, when, you know, we can have the whole arc or three or four issues of it really under our belt and just be like, this is, this is where it is. Cause I love that series. It's just for us personally, it's alive and well for readers. I know it's been forever. So I feel bad. Man, that's awesome about the Amazon stuff, though. They've been so yeah. good with comic book properties with the boys and actually really working with Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson there and Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker over on Invincible, which just launched. So fingers yeah. crossed. That would be really cool. Same. It's the same. And it's the I mean, they're they've been terrific to us. And like they hired me to write the pilot. And this is so deep cut. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but they're <laughs> so I'm like. 
I'm writing the pilot, and then they also um, they were 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 pretty much guaranteed, even if it doesn't come to TV, uh, a few episodes with the writers' room. And so in the writers' room, I got wow. James Tynan. So we're writing oh, wow. episodes of witches together. So I'm like, it's like my dream, you know what I mean? Where even if it never makes it, which I think it, I think it will. I mean, they seem really behind it. Uh, it's just that getting to do it with your friends, with Jock and you know James and whatever is what's better than that. That's so cool. I really hope that works out. Speaking of which, we got a question here on YouTube from C List Eman. James Tynan the Fourth gave you praise for getting him to help co-write Batman with you. How did you convince DC to bring up a relatively unknown at the time to help write one of their biggest properties? Because Grant was writing the biggest property in the bigger <laughs> way. Grant Morrison was doing Batman Inc. So um, that was like oh, really yeah, right. huge focus. People forget, but like yeah. We were really like in the shadow for a, uh, of that, which was great. Like, because it was the only thing saving me from like a total nervous breakdown. Grant <laughs> like, Morrison was was the one that Spotlight was on, so I could be like, "I'm just doing Batman down here. So go read, go read uh, Batman Inc." Um, so you know they were they were willing at that moment, I think, in the New Fifty Two, and with a lot of big hits happening between. Um, Jeff Johns and uh, Jim Lee on Justice League and uh, all these kind of heavy hitters to give us a little bit of leeway. And, um, you know, James was somebody who uh, Mike Martz at the time, who was editing Batman and Katie Kubert, who I still work with now, uh, you know, they were, they were very good about looking for new talent, you know, for, I'll say that, like they were always really receptive. Mike was always really receptive to, when I said, listen, this person is good. Can we bring him in? And so he, he was very good about um, listening to Jane, like me talking about James and James had interned there at Vertigo. So they oh, knew wow. offices um, and they knew his passion for the characters. And I was like, look, I'm going to co-write it. It's real, but this is important to me, you know? And the, the thing is like, it's funny because our friendship, it really, I mean, he's like my brother. I mean, I speak to him every day, but James, like he was my student when he was in college and I was an adjunct professor, unmarried, like no kids. Like, you know, this is, we're talking 2006, 2005, you know, like literally that long ago, like 16, whatever years ago, um, when we both loved comics and I was like, you know, 20, whatever. And I'm like, uh, oh man, this guy loves comics. And then he graduated and, and, uh, and uh, I got a chance to pitch uh, for comics with Marvel and whatever. And I remember calling him and being like, listen, you know comics probably better than I do because I had a hole in my knowledge of, of comics from when I was in grad school, um, but everything else I knew. And I'm like, does this track with DC where it is now? And we just, you know, bonded. And so he's somebody who not only helped me and it was like priceless to me as a, um, a peer, you know, all through my rise, but as a friend, like he saw me through, I, I was really not, um, I don't know how to say it enough, but I was just really not prepared for um, Batman uh, when I got it. I'm just going to plug in my computer. I mean, I was like, you know, I really believed deep down they had made a huge mistake. But I was like, I'm just going to take advantage of this in any way I can to tell the story I've always wanted to tell. Black Mirror, Court of Owl, this. But um I am like a total fraud. And James was there for me from day one. You could do this, you know, da, da, da. So um, watching him and his rise now, like I said earlier, I mean, his, he's just, he's one of the best human beings I know. 
best writer on the stands, Department of Truth, most like resonant book to me, you know, out there. So I cannot say enough good things. There's no, and you know, I know there's a lot of shit that you hear sometimes about writers like being in competition with each other and that stuff. And, you know, I always find that stuff to be just like complete bullshit. And Greg Capullo used to tease me when I was teaching and I taught James and all that stuff and, and be like, you're, you're training your replacement kid. You know? <laughs> he, knew, he knew better than that, you know, because for me, what it really boils down to is if you do your job as a teacher, you're teaching people to find their own voice and to write their way. And that is the opposite of training your replacement. If you, you know, if you're trying to teach them to write like you, you're a bad teacher. So for me, like to see the success of people who, um, you know, I probably learned a lot more from them than they learned from me. So I take no credit for their success, but to be a small part of the same, to, to have been involved with them at all and then see them be so great now from, you know, Joel Jones and, and Matt Rosenberg and Vida Ayala and, Right and left. There's so Max Saggio. There's so many people in that workshop that I feel like I learned from. I don't know. I can't, I just I, a big part of and by way of going into back into where we are now. Um, one of the things I'm proud of with Best Jacket is that we have a lot of books we're going to announce. We have books with different publishers. Um, you know, some at Image, some elsewhere, different places. But we also have a pretty big commitment to being able to work with publishers to help promote emergent writers um, and artists, but, you know, writers on my end, just because I know that better. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a big part of what we're going to try and do in 2022 and beyond. So I don't know. I really want, I want the picture of everything to become really clear of, you know, what, what, how I want to be a part of comics going forward come, you know, the summer when we, sort of either do an expo or a kind of announcement across the board of like, here are the books, here are the publishers. Here's what we want to do when it comes to new talent, all of it. Like here's what we want to do with our stuff and digital and non-digital and everything. So um, I don't know. It's a learning curve, but it's exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we just have a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this one, I think he might be joking about this, but I'm kind of curious anyway. Edward Doherty over here in the comments on Crowdcast says, ask him if he's ever tried to read Batman number six on an iPad. I know. <laughs> I know. No, it's Batman number five is the oh, really is messed up one. Okay. It's the one with the weird. Yeah. 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 You have to, you have to, yes. You have to put it on the ground and just walk around it. <laughs> But that that one is so special to me. That that book yeah, was that was where, really amazing. Yeah, that I mean, that's really where I learned. Um, I think the best lesson in my entire comics career, which was, uh, you know, uh, when I started on Detective and Batman, I wrote full script, and that was it. And it was really intense full script with like <laughs> photo references and all kinds of shit. Oh, wow, you know, I'm like. And, and everybody I worked with at that time liked full script. And, you know, there was always the caveat, change whatever you want. And so Raphael and Jock were great. And then I hit Greg, you know, just like a wall. And Greg was like, I don't work full script. Here's a, here's a script from Haunt. And he sent me one. And the Haunt script was like seven pages long. And I'm like, <laughs> I cannot do that. I, I don't work that way. He's like, look, kid, just like give me the important parts. I'm like, all the parts are important. All the words are important, Greg. You know, and like we just hated each other. We were like, I mean, I, I, I was ready to call Dan and be like, it's him or me or whatever, whatever. Oh, wow. 
oh no no really hated each other and he was like no. your mother must be very proud of you and i was like she is proud of me asshole <laughs> it was like that crazy at the time we still have the emails we go back and forth about them now wow but um what happened was like he started drawing the book and he was amazing and his designs were great and i was like oh. you know like all right well whatever and so by, it, you know, I was writing way ahead. So he was like drawing issue two and I was just like, God, these talons are amazing looking. Yeah. And he was like, you know, he kept asking me, he's like, just loosen up a bit, loosen up a bit. He's like, I'm running out of printer ink, kid. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, like, with the scripts. And so um, I told him, I'm like, fine, fine. So issue five, I'm like, listen, I'm like, I'm going to loosen up whatever it is you think would show Batman is really disoriented, maybe fractured panels, maybe sideways, maybe, a, you know, whatever, go for it. And he came up with the whole idea to like turn the whole wow. book. And I was like, Oh my God, this is great. And we had to fight DC and Bob Harris. I remember was like, everyone's going to think it's a misprint. And I was like, Greg wrote this long impassioned email. that was like, nice. did I tell you this ever where he's like, he wrote, did I tell you this or no? I don't want to like, I don't know. No. He was like, he wrote this impassioned email quoting Steve Jobs and shit like that, where he was like, "Wow, he was like, sometimes you must be foolish and blah blah blah." And I was like, "What he said, ditto, send." They, you know, like nice. back and forth, like going on, and uh, and it was great. And they finally let us do it, and was like, "Whatever." And uh, and uh, I got the issue digitally, and when you read it digitally, you read vertically, and so I read it, and I was like, "Yeah, man, see, it looks great." And then I got the physical like a week before it came out. And I was reading it, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's a music clip. You have to like, read it. Like, what the hell is this? And then I tweeted out, and I realized, I'm like, oh, no, it's great. And I tweeted out, I'm like, by the way, everything in Batman number five is deliberate. And Greg called me the second I tweeted it and was like, take that down. He was like, if they don't get it, they don't get it. You Don't be an asshole. Ah. So I'm like, Dude. And then half an hour later, he got his comps, and he tweeted, there's a goddamn misprint in Batman number five. And I, I had to call him and be like, it's not a misprint. It's exactly what we wanted. <laughs> and uh, it was so strange to read it that way. And what I remember, though, in the lesson of the whole thing was that every artist, you have to listen to them as a writer and say, how do you want to work? You know, if they want more room, the whole beauty of comics is that it's collaborative. And if you don't give them that room, you're not going to get the best product. And that might mean going out of your own comfort zone. But for me, I mean, I know there's some writers and I know I have friends that are like, I can't do it. I only write full script and I work with artists that like that. And I, I respect that. Um, but I like the adventure of being like, how do I turn myself into a writer who can do something for John Romita, who is like Greg and likes very outlined stuff. And then also do something totally different for Jim Chung, who likes every panel described, you know, and really work from the two ends of the spectrum that way and adjust to get the best out of the artist and to put myself out there and take a risk, you know, because you're definitely like where I, I, my comfort zone is probably a hybrid of those things, but you know, I like, I like being like, what do you want to do? And I, I've worked with artists that are like, I like to talk it all through on the phone first and then I'll do some sketches and then, all right, great, let's try it, you know? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that would have been crazy to think about that that issue would have been completely different if you kind of had it your way. You know what I mean? If you oh, dude, it was so, it really, I swear, it was like, I can think of like a few lessons in my life, like, like, like professional lessons as a comic writer that, that really are like inflection points. And that's one where I was like, wow. oh my God, what have I been doing the last couple of years? 
I have to, I have to listen to him and like give him the room. And, you know, then the funniest part is like, he thinks it's now it's like the revenge where like, I'll be like pages one through 10, blah, 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 go. And then I'm like, you know, a thousand Batmobiles explode. Have fun, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'd be intimidated to send that to Greg. He is no, intimidated. I mean, the secret that I tell him, and then, I mean, he knows this about me. I write it full, kind of full for myself, and then I, like, unwrite it for him. Mm-hmm. But I'll never – the other – another lesson I remember was, like, when I was doing Superman Unchained with Jim Lee. And Jim is so funny, man. Jim is – Yeah, he's, he's hilarious. He's 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 just like a magical person, like a magical human being on every level. Like you work with him and things happen where you're like, wow. <laughs> like like I was doing an interview with him. I remember at San Diego Comic Con when Godzilla came out, the new Godzilla, uh, and not uh, for in you know 2014, 2015, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And we're like in this booth, and he was like, I know you're a big Godzilla fan. Um, I got you. I got tickets to that Godzilla Expo, and they they had set up this whole warehouse where like you go in and it's like a fake Godzilla experience where they had like wow. the windows turned into a movie screen, and so it looks like the windows, but Godzilla appears and they blow steam at you. It's, it's awesome. Wow. But anyway, I'm getting out of myself. I'm like, he's like, I know you love Godzilla. I got tickets for this, and I'm like, it was sold out. I tried. He's like, I got them. Don't worry. Just you. I'll finish the interview. You go over there and like go to the Godzilla thing, and I'll meet you there. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I like run out of you know, San Diego Comic-Con, and I can see the warehouse where the thing is, like, down in the gaslight. Run mm-hmm. straight there, get there, and Jim Lee's already there. And I was like, <laughs> how did you do that? And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, I've been waiting for you. And I'm like, you are a magical human being. <laughs> Whatever it is that you disappear into, like, your portal Blackberry and appear on the other side, like, exist in a different uh, space-time thing. But with that book, I remember being like, guess what, Jim? Isn't this awesome? So Superman is in the back, you know, Superman, uh, the evil Superman Wraith attacks the Batcave and Batman launches every Batmobile in history at him. How cool is that? Like, isn't that great? And I give you like four pages to do it. And there's like no email back. You know what I mean? And I'm like, isn't that cool? <laughs> like Jim, Jim, boss, you know, like whatever. And you realize after a minute, like what's cool to you as a writer you know, and it's like, this is so awesome. It's like hours of intensive labor of like oh, this man. year and this, that. Every, you know, yeah, like you got to represent every Batmobile. And wow, that is. I know. So uh, there's there's been a lot of learning curves. But yeah, Batman 5 plays a very, and 6 play a very mm-hmm. special, you know, part in my, my uh, education. Uh, I do want to read this nice comment from YouTube from Scott Carpenter. He says, all your comics are amazing. Dark Knights got me back into comics. Finding out about it was crazy enough that I couldn't not read it, Um, which is very nice. Uh, To that point, though, I mean, I think part of the answer is probably creating original properties like Noctera, but... This is a constant question the entire time we've been doing the show. How do you get new readers into comics of everything that you've done, what are some lessons that you've learned that have drawn people back in? Like, for example, Dark Knights for Scott. Well, it's, it's, it, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I think you have to come in with the enthusiasm for each arc that you remember with your first, you know, the thing that got you into comics. Like for me, picking up a Dark Knight Returns or picking, and I, I mean, I was already in comics, but picking up something that just reinvigorated you and your love of the whole medium. And those things usually just, they're inclusive. They invite you in, 
you know, mm -hmm. there, there's always the desire, I think, to play to the, you know, play to the, um, the fans and be like, this is something that if you've been reading rewards you on every level, you know, and, yeah. and, and that, and there's a certain degree of pandering that can happen with that sometimes because you know how to give the fans like the deep, real deep DC fans. Like if I wanted to write a book just for them about name a character, you know how to do it. If you're a DC fan, like what's been missing from that character. Oh, this like, and there's a kind of, you know, immediate like mouse hits the thing, gets the pleasure, you know, response of that. But the bigger, the bigger joy, honestly, is being additive and creating something that takes a risk and says, yes, I understand the core of the characters, but I'm trying something that is designed to bring my own vulnerabilities, my own hopes to the, to this myth mythology and therefore bring in new people. So it's always about being honest to, in my opinion, like, you know, Black Mirror and that stuff, that that is not a book that would draw people in. It's about Dick Grayson as Batman and James Jr. and whatever. But I tried to write it in a way as my first thing that was like, if you've never read a Batman comic, here's everything I love about this character, even though it's Dick and this is why and blah, blah, blah. And Court of Owls, same thing. Number one, here's everyone in the Batman mythos that you love. They're there. Metal. Hey, if you don't know anything about DC, it's Okay. Let's have some fun. But if you do, here are all the Easter eggs. And it's it's about, I don't know how to explain it except saying it's about letting go of, I think, your pretensions as a comic fan. Me included, like as a writer, like me, I want to be like, why, you know, I've learned so much about these characters. You know, let me, let me dive into that and give that. Mm -hmm. But you have to open up and be able to be like, with, with superhero stuff, this is for everybody. And yes, it's exactly what you want it to be on one level, but it's also just like reminding yourself that, of the joy of discovering the character in the first place and saying, how do I give that to someone else and show how awesome this character is on the most fundamental level? So with every issue of Batman, I remember I had this formula where I was like, show Batman doing something fucking awesome that you're like, what is what makes him cool and like show a new gadget every couple issues and show him doing something with an awesome one-liner and also above all, make it personal and blah, 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 but show him kicking ass. And you know what I mean? <laughs> it, was that, it was like, it was that. And so we've created our own, I mean, they're inverted muscles. It's, it's really funny. Like with um, superheroes, there's this whole architecture that predates you by 70, 80 years. Yeah. It's more about selling people on what you have to bring to it and why you love these characters and what you have to say through them and, and why they're important to you. And with creator own, there's nothing there. You're building it from scratch. And so they're kind of showing up either because of the high concept or at this point more because they maybe have heard of you or whatever, and you're building it with them. So they're, it's a total inversion, like the process. Um, and with creator own, I think the, the fun of it is being like, let's build something together that you're in on. And you invite new readers in by saying, I want you to, pick this up and feel like you are part of a community of um, not just readers, but uh, people, you know, important to making the thing from the beginning with letters to the, you know, with whatever I put as the back matter, a thank you to links to like interviews like this. Like if you follow me down the rabbit hole with the creator own book, everything I'm thinking about or working on is there for you to say, thank you for picking it up. You're part of the book. You know, you're, 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 you're allowing it to live in that way. So I don't know. I mean, I think the key is enthusiasm and sincerity. That's for me. 
you know, there are all kinds of other things that I have thoughts on about, you know, how digital could work and why trades, you know, are important. What, how, how superhero comics should bifurcate things in terms of print digital and how indie comics, why there's a big resurgence. And culturally, I feel like, you know, people are, have gone through this whole cycle of Marvel movies where they're and DC movies where they've seen these amazing tapestries. And now they're looking for things that are almost like we did in the late eighties, nineties with image. And there's yeah. this, the boys and Watchmen and this kind of like sudden desire for things that aren't corporate superheroes just because they've seen it. Yeah. And so corporate stuff like star Wars, Marvel, DC goes smaller and more intimate, like the Mandalorian winter soldier, all that stuff. And it's working great. WandaVision. Mm-hmm. But like the big stuff that's going to come out is again, like more creator owned. And that that's kind of, you know, I have all these thoughts on that, but in terms of just what you do as if you're a struggling creator, or you're trying to think about the question that was asked. It really is honestly just the same basic thing. Like you you invite readers in by sharing your enthusiasm for what you're doing um, from go. Don't be afraid to be fucking corny. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, don't be, you know what I mean? Like you gotta be, I, someone asked me, I won't say who, but like a writer asked me recently, he was an indie writer and was doing very well, but was like, how do I, how do I like, I can't break in like with the superhero stuff. It's kind of, it's not selling, but it's like, you know, it gets good reviews and whatever. I'm like, you have to not be afraid to be really uncool. And that's it. Like you have to like, let go and just be like, I am going to embrace my kid love of this thing. And yes, it could, it could be super cool and be awesome and have a great artist and be dark and be edgy. I'm not saying that it doesn't have to be like bland, but you have to be able to um, remember the joy you felt as a kid getting into this stuff. And then if you're telling a super dark story, totally cool. Like again, dark Knight returns was one of my big entry points, but you have to be able to also the way Frank did in that book, embrace the, the lunacy of it and embrace the bombast and embrace the, you know, the tropes and not be too cool for school with it, which is fine if you are, but you know, that's a different kind of book, different kind of book, you know, critical darling. I love those too, but I'm just saying it's about, you know, not being afraid to be unabashedly nerdy and awesome with it. We could keep you talking all night. I will ask one more question though. This is from crowdcast from Sean R what original art page is hanging behind you? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the first page I ever bought. It's uh, Todd McFarlane. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, Spider-Man. Spider-Man 319. So basically, uh, I was 13 years old, and I went to a convention in New York City with my father, and I had saved up about 200 bucks uh, to buy a page, and I waited online for three oh, hours. Wow. Yeah, I was huge, Todd. I just drew everything Todd Drew everything, uh, Rob Liefeld, drew everything, Jim Lee, like copy. I wanted to be a comic artist, you know, until I was in college. I even like went to college in Providence so that I could take classes at RISD because I was like convinced I wanted to be like, you know, Frank Miller, Mike Magnola, like that, you know. Wow. Um, Eric Powell. And uh, the, uh, so I, anyway, I waited in line with my dad and I got to Todd finally. And my dad was like, it's my kid's birthday, Scott, whatever, it's 13. And he's like, oh, yeah, how much you got? And I had like, you know, like I said, a couple hundred bucks. And he gave me that page, which is clearly worth a lot more. And not only that, he drew me a Spider-Man on the back with webbing. Oh, wow. that says like, happy birthday, Scott. 
I'm never selling this page no matter what, Mr. McFarland, wow. in my life. And uh, he was like, okay, kid. It was so funny. And <laughs> I, met him, I met him again. You now, now we're close. Like I, you know, I, he just, I have, he just sent me the toys of last night and all that stuff the other day. And we, we talk relatively often. Okay. Um, but the first time I saw him again as a creator, you know, having made it when I was first on Batman was like, at um, it was like doing geek time for Howard Stern with him and whatever. And I went up to him and I'm like, I had brought the page and I'm like, you know, wow. Marlon, I just want you to know, like you did this for me when I was 13. He was like, how much did you pay for that page? <laughs> like, I'm like hiding it again. You know, like you can't have it back. He was really funny. He was just hiding with me, but he was great. It was, uh, he's, he's, he's an Erling. I love him. And Greg has so many funny stories about him. Their, their friendship is wonderful too. So that's yeah, that's awesome. the page. But I, have it, I will never sell it. Not ever. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, that is a great story. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Scott, before we let you go, uh, you got Neptera 2 is coming out tomorrow. Everybody should definitely pick that up if they haven't pre-ordered it already. Um, we didn't talk about Undiscovered Country at all, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. And just very briefly, you guys have a arc kind of happening before the next arc, right? Yeah, well, we so we just finished arc two and we have um, arc three is happening. Uh, I 13 is all done, 14 is coming. It's really fun. Like the secret of Undiscovered Country is basically that each zone they travel through and there are 13 territories to get to the center of the country. It's kind of like an extrapolation of an American, um, an element of the American imagination or identity like gone haywire. So there's a whole history as to why this happened the way it did. And you learn a lot about it in the arc we just did, but you learn even more in this one, um, how the geography of the country changed and who the people that did this are and all this stuff. But the fun of it is this zone that we're starting now is all about American soft power. So cultural exports. And and what you learn is in the, in, when America first sealed itself off, every zone was responsible for one of the producing kind of one thing, you know, or one or two things. And one was like agriculture, one's different kinds of technological advances. Another is this soft power. So it's the kind of um, Hollywood. It's like the, the cultural, um, you know, iconography that's made America. So kind of, um, you know, uh, powerful in terms of it's the, the dream, the fantasy machine, you know, that we, that we've been sure. for, for uh, 100 plus years of, of movie making and TV and, you know, myth making and all that stuff. And so the people travel through the zone that has been abandoned in every zone because the time works differently in this United States. This zone is like 200 years abandoned. And so it's all these strange cultural things that have been made that attack them, superheroes and noir things. And so it's a lot of fun. I really love this one. And uh, the, the book is a blast to write. Um, you know, I, I love working with Charles and Camo and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real uh, fun ride. So I hope people give it a shot. And, and we're very grateful for doing better than we'd ever hoped. So, and, yeah. and I think the last time you were on, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but you and Charles were just going in to pitch the new version of the movie. Is yeah. there any news on that at this point? Yeah, they, 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 they got it. And so we just are handing in our new draft our, of the whole first, the first draft of the screenplay by April 29th. That's again, I don't even know if that's too specific, but we just finished the draft and we're looking it over between now and April 29th bosses and uh, we're happy with it. And uh, yeah, we're just going to, I think it's really fun. The only difference is um, because it's a movie, it's a trilogy of movies that they want. 
but because the it's a movie that the you know we had to compress it so the way we did it was to split the team into two zones so when they crash the thing breaks apart and they get into two different zones and then um you know they wind up having to reunite and then you see a third zone to move it forward faster but and uh speaking of movies congratulations on the success of the snyder cut that was really cool to see i know (laughs) you don't know what it's like to have the last name snyder and be anywhere near geek culture over the last year thank you just thank you and then other times i'm like that was my son or that was Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a ride, but I'm very glad he got to complete his his vision. I'm always up for something, whether you know I agree with it or I don't agree with it, when it's a very singular, visionary take on the characters. So I'll always show up for that. Awesome. Nice. Scott, thank you so much. So good to see you. Oh, awesome. man, it was great talking with you. Thank everything. you so much. Man. I love it. we got to do it again. I'm going to come back. I promise. We'll do it. We'll do it. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Have a good night, cool. Scott. Take care, Take care of yourself. All right. Oh, Scott man, Snyder, that everybody. guy. Oh, <laughs> and now back to Taco Talk with Pete. <laughs> oh man, it's so great! He is always just so open with us and talks, and uh, it's just oh man. Every time uh, you know, I laugh, I cry. It's better than cats talking. To that guy is just phenomenal. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely everybody check out Natara number two coming out tomorrow from Image Comics uh, number yeah. three and number three should be in the stack, right? Yeah, it's going to be in the Stack podcast Wednesday, 9 a.m., both in this feed and the Stack feed. Now, uh, it is, we've done a lot of questions, Pete, but it is time for more questions, specifically audience questions. And here we go. All right. (laughs) What you drinking, buddy? We're going to get to that in a second. First, the rules of audience questions, though. I'm sure most of you have figured that out based on the fact that you've been asking plenty of them already. If you're over on YouTube, just drop them in the comments over there about absolutely anything on Crowdcast in Ask a Question. We'll get to them. But yeah, let's kick it off with what we're drinking. Uh, I am having a Neon Rainbows IPA from Omegang. It's real good. Very good. Omen Gang is one of my absolute favorite breweries. And this is like a bunch of different types of hops, I think, that they jam together. It the makes rainbow. me think it's, it's like stuff. the yellow submarine, the beer. I'm I'm tripping, man. Whoa, dude. <laughs> what about you, Pete? What are you drinking? Oh, you know, classic land shark. You know what I mean? I love a good bit. Uh, that SNL bit is just one of my favorites. So I'm going to support that beer. You know what I mean? Oh, nice. All right. Let's get to some questions here. Uh, we, oh, this is one that I think you can answer, Pete. Oh, Edward Doherty says, have you ever had a review quote feature on a trade paperback? Not maybe you could get Pete and write a quote for these new editions. Marvel Knights, Punisher, Purgatory, Spider-Man, One More Day, Punisher, Frankencastle, All-Star, Batman and Robin, and Spider-Man, Sins Past. Uh, more seriously though, do you want to, do you remember your quote, right? Yeah. I mean, we got, we got real lucky when we were just kind of like, uh, starting out and, uh, you know, Joe, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez's uh, lock and key just kind of started to blow up. Uh, we happened to be at the convention where they first got to meet and hang out. And, um, I, I, as I recall, it was like one of those things where somebody came up behind us and was asking about lock and key and they kind of overheard me gushing about it and then uh, put my quote on the back of the um, the first uh, trade, which I have. And uh, it was back when we were called the Pulp Secret Report. Do you, oh, do you remember what the Dave. quote is, though, Pete? 
Uh, I don't have it memorized. It's something like, oh, you know. Oh, this shit is crazy, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely something I said. Yep. Definitely absolutely. something I said. Yep. Uh, and apropos of this discussion, I'm quoted on the back of Batman Volume 5 by Scott Snyder. So there you go. Oh, wow. Yeah. That really tied in nicely. Thank you. I tied that up. Uh, let's. <laughs> what did go. you say? Uh, I think I just had it open and then I closed it. Oh. Um, wait, Was it on. something long-winded and yep. just didn't, didn't it's make It's not just sense. a great Batman story, but a great Bruce Wayne story. Oh, look at you. Wasn't that long-winded? I guess not. This is from Is Hot Theroflocopter from YouTube. Sorry, I bagged that. Now that digital comics are more prevalent, what thought process goes on before you guys buy physical copies of comics? Good question. Pete, I know you're pretty gung-ho physical anyway. Yeah, I'm a, I I very much judge uh, books by their cover as far as when you're... My favorite thing is just walking in the new release aisle of a comic book shop uh, and getting to see kind of different things. And uh, I when things... Uh, jump out at me, you know. I will, I will buy them. Uh, sometimes I'll be intrigued by title and flip through the pages before I buy. But art is a big uh, selling point for me when I'm kind of looking for something that might uh, pique my interest. And also, uh, yeah, Edward Doherty uh, mentioned price. Um, you know, price is something that I kind of try to figure out as I'm waiting in line to pay, and I have to make some tough decisions in line, man. This is a very dumb sounding answer, but for me, it's something that I want to own. And the reason I say it that way is we read so many comics every week for this podcast and the other podcasts that we do. It it honestly all becomes kind of a jumble at a certain point. So there's things that I really like, things that I don't like, things that I'm fine with, but we're reading so many things. I cannot physically fit them in my apartment. So it needs to be something that either I know I'm going to love or I already love. And I want to, in addition, own a physical copy of it. I do think we were talking about Batman number five earlier in the podcast with Scott. That's something that I distinctly remember reading a preview copy of that in an iPad and it driving me insane. Yeah. Driving me insane. And that drove me so insane. I had to go and buy the physical copy, which is because I had to be like, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. It definitely is. And most of the time they're aiming for the physical copy anyway. So of course it's going to be a better way of reading it, but there's a lot of comics that uh, they're like candy, you know, (laughs) you're eating them and you don't necessarily need them afterwards, but uh, something like, I've bought individual issues of Lock and Key, for example, that uh, I've wanted to own that I don't own other comics like that. So there you go. Uh, Good question. I saw one. Here we go. Um, Oh, boy. No, that was a trick. Okay, here we go. Wait, what's (laughs) happening? Uh, There was a trick for us. I didn't fall into the trap because I asked the question. Thank Um, you. Kevin wants to know, if you were to start a podcast with or without your co-hosts, totally unrelated to comics or day jobs, what would it be? I would probably uh, do some kind of comedy podcast where I would just get some comedian friends of mine and we would kind of riff and do bits. um, And I would come with prepared things that make me angry that I could vent about and find like stories in or whatever. Hmm. I was sort of thinking today, and I'm not going to do this, but that I would do some sort of 
podcast where I talk to my daughter about pop culture stuff and embarrass her. Oh, wow. Because she's gotten super into music and going on YouTube and jumping into the comments there. And the other day we were chatting about Olivia Rodrigo and her new single and everything like that. And I can tell it's like right on the edge of, Todd, stop talking about that to my... So that would be great. But in your mind, you're like a tween. And Mm -hmm. so like you, all you want to do is is talk about that kind of thing. Yes. That, and also it would be fun to do a Riverdale podcast. Uh, This is from uh, Scott Carpenter over on YouTube. What? I said, would it? Mm, I don't know. Maybe kind of painful for some of us. (laughs) Do you feel podcasts and YouTube channels are doing well supporting the creators? Interesting. No. Nope. Um, what do you think? Do you have any take on that, Pete? Yeah, I mean, there it's views that don't necessarily turn into money, and uh, you know, m- let's just say you've given years of your life to something. You know what I mean? What What do you have? You know, what uh, I mean? hypothetically, hypothetically, I'll tell you what I do have. I have some great friends and some amazing people that I call mm-hmm. friends that I know online and through doing the show. Um, that I wouldn't trade for the world, but uh, you know, it would also be able to, nice to be able to, you know, every once in a while be able to do things, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're they're platforms. They're trying to make money at you. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their own heart. But like Pete said, part of the reason that the large part of the reason that we do stuff like this is we love doing it and we have fun doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we're doing it. And if support came monetary or otherwise that would be awesome what are you what are you doing well that right there that's a perfect example i have an amazing piece of art from murder falcon Mm. that i got from aaron and john for my birthday and it was just like uh so touching and really unbelievable and uh it was also a really badass moment in the book so it was really cool that uh commemorate that yeah. And uh, similarly, I got these advanced figures from Hasbro the other day, this Magneto X-Men and this Bo-Katan Black Series. And that's really special to me in exactly the same way. Yeah, you got fucking Zartan <laughs> from G.I. Joe, you piece of shit. You don't even know who that is. You can't even appreciate fucking Zartan. Yeah. I was like, this guy doesn't have a dumb name. Oh, I mean, he does, but not in the same way. Oh, I hate you so much. You should. I started calling him Trash Can because that (laughs) seems more in line with the G.I. Joe character. Why do you deserve to get this stuff? It just. (laughs) Uh, Ooh, classic question here from Nick Grayson. Where do y'all currently stand on DC versus Marvel? I'll tell you what, I had some thoughts about this the other day. I'm curious to hear what you think, Pete. Um, well, I mean, I there's a ton of DC stuff that I love, a ton of Marvel stuff that I love. I mean, I can't, you know, right now one is probably doing a little better than the other, but I want both of them in my life, you know what I mean? And I want one of them to start doing better stuff, so I'm rooting for them. Uh, which but, one is which, Pete? I think we know which one. Is <laughs> no, which. I want to know. Uh, DC is the one I want to start doing better as wow. far as uh, properties. Interesting. But... And I'll say why that's interesting. But, I mean, how because... can you... The animated series, you know, Batman, the animated series is something that's, like, legendary that I got to watch growing up as a kid. Totally. Shape that came out 30 years ago. Go on. Uh, 
But I'm just saying, like, you know, there's some things that stand the test of time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You ask me who my Batman is, it's fucking Kevin Conroy, motherfuckers. Always well, hold on, though. I, I think specifically, I mean, maybe it wasn't, but the question was probably about comics, or at least the way I was thinking about it. Oh, is it? Was it well, just about comics? I don't think it was. Well, for me, I'll answer it specifically about comics, because this is something I realized has been kind of bubbling inside me, inside my heart Ooh. over the past couple of weeks is I think right now I'm a little more excited about what DC is doing in comics. I like a lot of the creators at Marvel. I'm enjoying a lot of the books, but the overall world is not drawing me in in the same way as a lot of the individual issues and stories coming out of DC. A lot of that is the dude future state stuff, which I think we... Yeah, we love by across the board. Yeah, but like, well, hold on, hold on. And, and the teams coming out of those that they've kept those on with these ongoing titles, they're doing some really interesting things. I don't trust that it's going to last. I think every time DC does this, they try some really bold writing and art initiatives, and then go like, "Well, hold on, what if there were fifty-two Earths? What do you think about that? And what if everything counted? And what if Superman went back to a previous continuity or something? And it gets very confusing. But right but, now, I'm really, I'm loving it in the same way a first-hand up guy mentions DCU. It's the same thing as like, right out of the new 52 and whatever they come up with these bold initiatives, I think they're great. So ask me in a couple of months, I'll probably change my mind. But yeah, right you're now, all I'm over very place, into what DC is doing, those, comic you're, book-wise. You're completely in love with those X-Books. I can't I believe like I said, there's a lot of great stuff coming out of Marvel as well. It's just the overall world and the thrust of the universe that I'm like, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll get to it later. Wow. That's right. I've turned. You're called as ice. Yeah. I'm willing to sacrifice. Uh <laughs> this I <is>... know. <laughs> I know. I saw you push Boothman in front of a truck. Uh well, here's a good one. This is again from Is Hot uh Thero Flocopter. Thanks for answering my question. I've been moving around a lot and moving comics is a pain, which is why I ask. Also, I jumped on the stream late. Next question, where is Justin? Uh, Justin is having a vax date with some vax he's, people. He's, you know what? He's living his life. You know what I mean? He's in the, the on a vacation in a very nice place because he lives an amazing life. He's a TV <laughs> line producer and they get bank. You know what I yeah. mean? He's a TV line producer with a haircut. Hit all your greatest hits, Pete. <laughs> There's a lot uh, of inside jokes and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun stuff. But yeah, uh, we don't know where he is. He doesn't tell us shit. He's just like, hey, I'm not making it. Fucking good <laughs> no, luck tonight. I already said. Give please. Scott my best. I fucking miss him. Oh, Jesus. Uh, first end up guy simply says, I missed the first 80 minutes of the show. Can you recap them for me? Uh, the <laughs> main thing is that I for real tried Trejo's tacos, which are delicious. So wow. Wow. The real um, thing is that Scott Snyder is an amazing writer. And if you haven't read his stuff, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, Jason Innocent says, does the Joker like improv? <laughs> um, well, it depends on what kind of improv we're talking about. Because as we know, when you are a criminal mastermind and you plan mm-hmm. things a certain way, uh, there are a lot of variables. And you got to be able to improv and be able to kind of jump. You got to have an outline. You got to have goals. But when shit goes down, you got to be able to improv. So I'm sure the Joker appreciates that kind of improv. But as far as improv comedy, I don't think so. I've never seen Joker do an improv joke 
or make any kind of like that. Uh, I don't think it's uh, it's not really his jam. You know, he's more Good of an evening, old. Good evening, Batman. Tonight we'll be doing a technique called the Harold. <laughs> Uh, the, I was, you know, if you were a real improv nerd, you would have said the bat. Um, oh, okay. I am not. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Great question. Um, we got, I'm zooming through these. Uh, last one we'll ask here. Uh, oh, actually, we have uh, one over on. Well, let me ask this one first. This is from Pablo Derry Martinez, New York. I've Comic-Con. heard of Pablo before. Uh, yeah, New York. Comic-Con. Love that guy. Coming back in October, would you go or save up for 2022? I guess the bigger question is, with people potentially starting to do things in public again, comic book conventions, even with vaccines more out there, San Diego Comic-Con is planning on doing something over Thanksgiving. New York Comic-Con may do something again. Are you going to go to them or are you going to hold off, Pete? Well, I, it really depends on where we are as a country as far as, like, how open things are or whatever. Like, I don't know if there's going to be another wave or what's going to happen. But if things are looking good and if it's, like, you know, everybody's vaxxed or I don't know how it's going to work. Or, uh, you know, hopefully we can kind of get things going a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm not scared of it. I wouldn't mind going. I don't know, uh, you know... Um, what the details of it are and all that kind of who's going to be there and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm itching to, to get out into the world again. Yeah. I think to your point, it really just depends on so many factors that if people yeah. are like, yep, it's 100% safe. Of course I would like to go. I want to do things in public. I got the first shot just this past Saturday. And my first thought walking out of there was like, Oh, in a, a month and a half, maybe I could go see a movie. That would be nice. Oh, <laughs> oh that would be really nice. What a nice treat for Alex. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm itching to do all that stuff, but um, we'll we'll see what happens. I think there's still a lot of variables there. Yeah, you could run out of movie theater, man. Live yeah, that Scott Snyder bucks, That's what I hear. Uh, we do have one last question. I think this is an interesting one to talk about over on YouTube. Nelson Martinez says, "Are you guys surprised that Godzilla versus Kong surpassed Wonder Woman '84 and Snyder Cut for biggest premiere on HBO Max? If so, why do you think that is?" Because just, uh, before we get into it, a little okay. bit of an asterisk there. HBO Max doesn't release any stats like most streaming services. However, Samba TV, which is a service that some people have on their smart TVs that basically is a filter for all sorts of streaming movies, kind of like an Apple TV sort of works the same way, I believe, um, said that 3.6 million people watched Godzilla v. Kong in the first five days, at least five minutes of it, uh, versus... The Snyder Cut, I believe, was 1.8 million. Wonder Woman was 2.2 million. Um, But Snyder Cut and Wonder Woman were both over three days. So it's not exactly one-to-one, but it certainly seems like, based on the fact that also HBO was like, wow, Godzilla vs. Kong was huge! And didn't say anything about the Snyder Cut, that maybe the Snyder Cut underperformed a little bit. Uh, What were you going to say, though, Pete? I was just going to say because, uh, you know... Kong and Godzilla are, you know, who, who doesn't, who doesn't like that? I mean, that just a, first off, why are they fighting? Like there's a lot of intrigue. There's, you know, there's a payoff for seeing it. It's not four hours long. So it is a little bit more watchable than the Snyder cut. I think it's a little bit more accessible. You kind of know what you're getting. 
Uh, I think it's an easier sit down to watch. You know what I mean? Well, uh, if you watch Godzilla versus Kong twice, it's four hours long. Okay. Well, I have seen it twice, so <laughs> there you go. I put in the four hours. <laughs> so your argument holds no water. Uh, yeah. I think uh, to be frank i think the fad base for the snyder cut was not quite as big as it seems based on us all being on the internet all the time i think it has an outsized influence on culture and that's fine there's people so very passionate about it i'm not trying to put anybody down necessarily other than the people who are toxic and harass people which again i think is a smaller part of that fan base which has an outsized influence on the way that people view it. Um, but Godzilla versus Kong, I think, A, like it worked out exactly how they wanted the Snyder Cut to work out. They paid $70 million or whatever it was for it as advertisement for Godzilla versus Kong and Mortal Kombat. Like it wasn't about the Snyder Cut. Oh man, can't wait for that Mortal Kombat. Well, this Mortal is the thing is that Kombat. like they announced the Snyder Cut a week before HBO Max launched because visibility of HBO Max wasn't high enough. Suddenly, people interested in the Snyder Cut, geeks and nerds and everything, were focused on the streaming service that suddenly seemed like at least a little bit more of a must-subscribe. And then when it dropped, you got the Snyder Cut people, and then you keep them for Godzilla v. Kong, so it's just adding to that. It has a wider audience than that. So that's this is a much bigger topic, but I think... All the people are saying hashtag restore the Snyderverse. It's the same thing where there's just not enough people to restore the Snyderverse, but they now have enough people that want to see Godzilla v. Kong to potentially continue that. They're going to have enough people watch Mortal Kombat to continue that. So I got that's what they're looking at down the road. That I, I'm glad you brought Mortal Kombat because I've got to start getting into shape because pretty soon we're going to be going out again and being in place engaging in mortal combat well i'm i'm always just waiting i could be mm-hmm. anywhere if somebody runs in and yells mortal combat i'm punching the first person closest to me and it's fucking on i gotta pull your spine out of your head fucking bring it zalb <laughs> see if you can fucking do it man uh and folks that is it for your audience question Woo-hoo-hoo. oh wait real quick are you team kong or team godzilla oh my gosh uh team kong 100%. What was that? What are you doing? <laughs> this is my Godzilla piggy bank. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh, goodness. Uh, Team right, Godzilla, uh, baby. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Pablo already raised his hand up, so I'm going to invite him right into the stream here to do some trivia, if that's cool with you, Pete. It's too late. Oh, I already invited sure. Him wow. Okay. Yeah, wow. Uh, But here we go. It's time for our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePage, the king of trivia, who is going to give away a $25 gift card to Midtown Comics to one lucky audience member. It was probably Pablo, let's be honest, if he manages to work his way into the stream here. Uh, Pete... All what's, right. Uh, what's today's trivia? Today's on? trivia is on topical comic news oh, and a, a surprise. And a small nod to the legend John Singleton. Ah. Oop. Pablo is in and then he's out. Oh, so quick. Um, so I just quick. wanted to remind Pablo to uh, please listen to all three choices before choosing the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Well, whenever he reconnects, we'll see if that happens. I'll tell no. you what, you could honestly do the trivia Pablo could not answer, and then we could just send him $25. We could, we could. <laughs> we could do that. 
He could also just type in if he can't, uh, mm-hmm. for some reason, can't uh, log yeah, in. Yeah, just start asking the questions. It's fine. All right, go great. I'll, Here we I'll go. Play. I'll be a surrogate for Pablo. Oh, here's Pablo. Oh, oh. No, he's got again. Oh, man, it was so close. <laughs> There's Pablo. Hey, hey. Pablo. Great to see you, buddy. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Pablo, right. if anything goes wrong with the stream, I'm going to be your surrogate. I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to take the bullet for you. Okay. Uh, but let's go ahead ask question number one pete okay marvel canceled what upcoming ongoing series as well as 20 variant covers is it a predator b alien or is it c george lucas so it's either a predator or you could be completely wrong and choose alien oh no i'm not gonna be wrong that's a a is correct. Should have seen that coming. They canceled the Predator. It makes sense. All right, here we go. Question number two. JT Sizzle, our other co-host, once said this on a character show that he does. Is it A, Alex Zalbin is a toolbox and I hate him, or is it B, it's colder than a hummingbird's butt at an ice cream social? Or could it be C, Al Green? Hmm. So it's either A, don't pick it, or it's B. <laughs> it's B. B is correct. See, you didn't say that, Alex. You can relax. I'm, All right, here we go. I'm so relaxed right now. <laughs> Question number three, last one. What Fortnite is making a comic book? What if I told you, though, that it would have Batman versus Blank? Is it A, Mojo Jojo, B, Snake Eyes, or is it C, Bronson Pincho? So it's either A, don't pick it, or it's B. It's B. B is correct. $25 will be yours. Incredible. Thank you, Pablo. We'll send that right your way. Uh, Have a good night. All right. Kevin has a guess for the secret movie you were... hinting towards bhc3 yeah beverly hills cop three and he is correct yes oh boy. as we all know john singleton had a fantastic cameo in that movie gosh you didn't even need to tell me i absolutely yeah. of course knew as we all also know that tomorrow is new comic book day so pete what are you looking forward to that's coming out? What are you excited about? I'll tell you, the out? one that I'm very excited to talk about on our Stack podcast is Dead Dog Bite number two. Mm. And I also enjoyed uh, King in Black number five. Yeah. Uh, Dead Dog's Bite is from Dark Horse Comics, but that's by Tyler Boss, who's incredible. The Boss. The mouse. Very excited to chat about that one. Um, I'll give a shout out to the Silver Coin number one from Image Comics. This is from my Chip Starsky. Fucking creepy son of a bitch, you. Well, this is a new horror anthology that Mm -hmm. a couple of new rising superstars are doing together, which is super fun. Um, I'm excited to chat about that one. That should be pretty neat. And as mentioned, those are all going to be in our stock stack podcast which is Wednesday 9 a.m., both in the Comic Book Club feed and its own stack feed. And, folks, that is it for our show. Oh, man. I want to shoot a thank you to Scott Snyder for coming on talking about Noctera. Again, number two is in comic book stores tomorrow, so definitely pick that up. It's amazing. 
Next week, we have another huge show for you guys. Joe Hill, Gabriel Rodriguez, and Chris Ryall are all going to be here to talk about Lock and Key, Sandman, Hell and Gone, number one, which is going to be in comic book stores that's very distracting the next day. Also, Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast, comes out on Fridays. We're talking about Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Podvincible, our Invincible podcast just launched. We have four episodes of that up, so definitely check that out. Riverdale After Dark, our Riverdale podcast is on hiatus, but we're planning some special episodes to roll out throughout the hiatus, so definitely stay tuned there. Patreon.com slash comic book club. Support the show and other shows we do. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow at Comic Book Live on Twitter. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, goodbye! Thanks, everybody. We appreciate you. Take care of yourself.